Welcome to Partnering Leadership, conversations with leading influencers in the greater Washington, D.C. region and global thought leaders, helping you align better with your purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm really excited this week to be welcoming Park Howell. Park is the host of Business of Story podcast, author of Brand Bewitchery, and his most recently released book, The Narrative Gym for Business, which is introducing the ABT framework for business communications and messaging that he has co-written with Randy Olson. I really enjoyed the conversation with Park because the conversation serves as a masterclass in how to communicate effectively using the ABT framework. And don't be fooled by the simplicity on the surface of ABT. It is truly powerful if understood and applied. I've learned a lot from Park over the years, most especially on application of Hero's Journey to organizational branding. We have a brief conversation around that. And then most specifically about ABT and how to use the and, but, and therefore framework in effective communication, which is critical in effective leadership also. I love hearing from you. Keep your comments coming. Mahan at Mahantavakoli.com. There's a microphone icon on partneringleadership.com. You can leave voice messages for me there. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your favorite platform. And finally, those of you that enjoy these on Apple, leave a rating and review when you get a chance. That will help more people find and benefit from the conversation. Now, here is my conversation with Park Howell. Park Howell, welcome to Partnering Leadership. I am thrilled to have you in this conversation with me. Mahan, thank you so much for being here. So, Park, your podcast, Business of Story, your books, Brand Bewitchery and Narrative Gym for Business, have had a real impact on my thinking with respect to storytelling. And I can't wait to get into some of that and share it with the partnering leadership community. But first, would love to know whereabouts you grew up and how your upbringing impacted the kind of person you've become part. Absolutely. And let me make a little tweak to my intro. I was thinking I was the podcast host here and I said, thanks for being here. What I meant to say <laughs> is thanks for having me here. I just got done recording an earlier session and I wasn't out of my host brain yet. I have to tell you, Park, I'm glad you said that, though, because your podcast is one of the ones I've been listening to for years. So I do feel like I have a relationship with you as a result of your podcast. And I've learned a lot because with the podcast and with your style, you add perspective to how people can become more effective storytellers. So I'm glad you did it that way because your podcast is a prime way of me feeling like I've known you for decades, for years at least. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, we've been producing the Business of Story podcast for six years. I just got notified earlier this week, two days ago, Mahan, that it is ranked as the number 30th marketing podcast on iTunes, on Apple. So I'm in the top 30, number 30 apparently, but really mine is all focused about helping listeners excel through the stories they tell in business leadership, marketing, sales, and human resources. And so thank you for those kind words. I'm so glad that you're an avid listener. 
part, the other factor that's really important, I think, with respect to storytelling is that our own origin stories and how we tell them have a big impact on people being able to relate to us as leaders. So whereabouts did you grow up and how did your upbringing impact the kind of person that you've become part? Back to our regularly scheduled question already in progress. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. Well, you know, Mahan, I am very, very blessed in that I grew up in a large family, seven kids. My mom and dad, Pat and Keith Howell, got married later in life for them and their generation when they were 28 and 29 years old. So they knocked out seven of us kids in nine years. That's quite a palace for that group. And I was lucky because I was branded early on. I've got brother, let's see, I have one sister. So it starts with Dan, Melody, Tom, Steve, and then my two younger brothers, Chris and Mike. And weighing in at number five in the food chain is me, Park. People will say, how in the world did you get that name? My father passed away a couple of years ago when he was 91 of Alzheimer's, and he led a really very charmed life. He worked hard his whole life and he went on adventures. He was a civil engineer who grew up in North Dakota when, as a kid during the depression. And his first job out of college from the University of North Dakota was working in Fargo, North Dakota for the head city engineer. And his name was a Norwegian guy, but his first name was Park. Last name was Tarbell. And about the time I was born, he passed away and my dad admired him so much that he gave me his name park. And I asked him, I said, dad, why did you give me your boss's name? He goes, well, Park Tarbell always got things done efficiently and with fun. He said he was always smiling. Even when we had stressed, he was just a great guy. And it's something that my dad had always aspired to do. And so that's what he gave me easily, simply and having fun getting things done. So I ended up with a brand park because there's not a lot of us walking around out there and growing up in a Norwegian-ish family. My grandmother was full Norwegian. They can tell stories and they tell them with different little funny Norwegianisms that I just adored as a kid growing up. And I think maybe that's where my love for it came. Also on my mother's side of the family, she had a very tall father, redhead. His name was Red. And it's what we all knew him as. He was a former taxi cab driver in Seattle. And then he ran a gas station. And then he built out this very large company called Wenatchee Petroleum. And I just remember being a little kid and listening to him tell stories and being absolutely captured, captivated by it. Who knew all these years later, I would find myself in the storytelling business. And you also both saw the family examples of storytelling. You spent some time running your own advertising agency also. Why did you decide to make teaching people how to tell better and more effective stories your life's work? When I went to school, to college, I went to Washington State University, and I got two degrees when I was there. Uh, my first degree was in music, composition, and theory, because from my Norwegian grandmother, Mabel, I got inspired to learn how to play the piano and played it my whole young life and started writing songs at a very early age. You just wrote them for the fun of it. Loved composition and theory. So I studied it. Knowing I would never make any money being a composer, I also studied 
communications, journalism, public relations, because I figured I could bring those two worlds together of commerce and art and make a career in advertising out of it. I was always fascinated with creating ads and that sort of thing. And everything that I learned in music composition and theory, I have applied to my career in writing, composition and theory, and now in storytelling, composition and theory. These worlds just absolutely mesh beautifully together. So in 1995, I opened my ad agency in Phoenix, Arizona called Park & Co. And looking back on it, it sounds rather egocentric that I would name it after myself, but it was a good brand name. And I actually had a client when I was working at another agency that pulled me aside and he said, Park, if you ever start an agency someday, you should call it Park or Park something. And so that's what I did. And Mon, I ran it for 20 years. And I really enjoyed it for the first 10 years. And then the second 10 years when digital marketing set in, I started losing my interest in it because I did not find the digital platforms nearly as creative and interesting as telling a story in radio, TV, print, you know, outdoor and so forth. So I still ran my agency. We made that evolution into the digital marketing world. But it was really hard for our customers to stand out like everybody because of the din of communication that comes through digital. And that's when I really found an interest in storytelling. It was about 2004. And I asked myself, all right, the old way of advertising and marketing branding no longer works because of digital. What is next? What do we do? And I was fortunate because our middle child, our son Parker, was going to film school at Chapman University in Orange, California, very prestigious film school. And he's been in Hollywood ever since he graduated in 2010, specializes in directing virtual reality and mixed reality films and so forth. But that's when I started studying story because I thought, all right, Parker, send me your books when you're done with them since I'm paying for them because I want to know what does <laughs> Hollywood teach you to be a competitive storyteller? That was my introduction into Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. I applied it to business and it completely revolutionized, changed my life. And that got me pivoting away from traditional advertising and marketing to what I do today. And so in 2016, I started the business of story. And now I consult, teach, coach, and speak on the power of story in businesses, purpose-driven businesses, businesses that are making a much bigger impact in the world in a positive way, rather than just selling you something. And so that's how it all started for me. That story of how it started for you also is relevant to how it impacted me part, because I had read Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, a Hero with a Thousand Faces, back in business school. One of my professors at Georgetown, really? which I also interviewed for this podcast, business school professors, Robert Bees, really wanted us to understand the process of storytelling and the hero's journey. That's fascinating. Why do you think that is in business? Why do you think he had to do that? I had a more recent conversation, as I mentioned, for the podcast with Bob Bees. He believes that's the way we can frame the world around us in service. So he has a very different mindset than some people would view a business school professor as having, which aligns well with Georgetown's Jesuit tradition. But in essence, he sees a lot of business executives as wanting to be the heroes of the journey, as opposed to being the guides, whether it is in serving their teams 
or it is in serving the society at large. So he used that to try to teach us. Now, I understood some aspects of it, Park. I didn't fully grasp the importance of it until reading Sapiens, I'm a big Yuval Harari fan, understanding the importance of story. And then your explanation of the hero's journey to business storytelling and brand storytelling is part of what impacted my thinking. And even over the past couple of years, I was board chair of Leadership Greater Washington. We were able to refocus the brand rather than the organization being the hero, helping the members of the organization be the heroes. So your storytelling skills, in essence, brought a lot of this hero's journey home for me to understand how it needs to be applied to organizational and leadership storytelling. That is awesome. You just made my day right here. You never know the impact you're going to have in the world out there. And I am so impressed that your professor in a business, very logic-driven, left-brain curriculum, introduced you to the hero's journey and took you into the depth. And he's so right. And as you have seen, it's about servant leadership. And the servant is not typically the protagonist in any great story. The servant is that mentor or guide that maybe even plays a more important role in that story, helping the protagonist on their journey to get what they want out of life. And we all know when we go out of our way to help people get what they want, they will go out of their way to help us get what we want. So it's selflessness turned into selfishness in some way. Yes. And so I do think that is really important for leaders to understand. It does require going really deep with Joseph Campbell, understanding some of that. And I know much of your content goes in that direction. But one of the things you have spent some time trying to explain over the past couple of years, ABT, the and, but therefore framework, Christopher Lockett says you give an unfair advantage in business communications to people that study it. So I wanted to say leaders understand that storytelling is critical, especially in uncertain times. And my podcast listeners in partnering leadership buy into the importance of it, but they need an easy framework to apply. Therefore, that's why I wanted you on this podcast so you can share with them a framework that's easy to understand for them to apply and become more effective storytellers. Very nice work with your ABT <laughs> right there. <laughs> I, I tried. <laughs> Maybe your listeners didn't quite get it, but I got it. I heard it very, very well done. On Yeah, the and button, therefore. So take a quick step back. I had mentioned our son was going to film school and I was studying right alongside of him. I mean, not only did he send me his books, but he sent me videos of lectures and audios. And I was like in film school. I even went to Robert McKee's legendary story course over four days at the LAX Sheridan with 200 screenwriters. And I was like one of five marketers in the room because we were trying to figure this out. So yes, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, 12 to 17 steps, depending on who you read on this, is complex. It's fascinating. It's almost like a manual for life because we all experience this hero's journey. And that's why we are attracted to those stories that are built on that same framework because we inherently recognize it 
we go through it every day. So I mapped that to business, broke it down to my 10 step story cycle system, which it sounds like you use some for your group there. And I've seen it grow brands by as much as 600%. And it was created such that brands could do it themselves. But then I found out they really can't unless they're really students of storytelling and Joseph Campbell. So I come in and I help them do that. Now, in your case, you get it. You've read a hero with a thousand faces. And so you know how to do it. Most people don't. I'm saying 98% of the people don't. It's too complex. So my studies began with the complex and honing it down to make it simple. And that's when I found Dr. Randy Olson in 2013, Harvard evolutionary biologist turned Hollywood filmmaker after he graduated from USC film school, after he had his PhD at Harvard. And uh, he has written five books helping scientists do a better job of communicating their big thinking using what he learned in Hollywood, which all boils down to the and button therefore. And in fact, when he introduced it to me in 2013, I said to Randy, this is like the DNA of story. And he goes, damn it, I'm the PhD here. I should have come up with that. But it is really where everything begins. And it's these three simple words. And, but, therefore. Think of it as act one is and. Act two, where all the craziness goes on is but. And act three is the therefore resolution. Now, if you break it down a little bit more, the first sentence, that act one sentence, is a statement of agreement. And in business marketing and leadership, what I coach people to do is as you're writing this, think of your audience, what do they want, and why is it important to them? So you've just set the stage, you get them nodding in agreement, you validate their position in the world, they say, yes, you understand me, that's what I want. But you don't have it because of this. I know they go, you're right, I don't have it because of that. Therefore, I'm going to help you get it by doing this. And that's where your product or service offering comes in. Someone once asked me, what's the shortest ABT I've ever written? And it comes down to this, Mahan. Most executives communicate and care, but bore. Therefore, tell a story. That's it in a nutshell. That is an outstanding one, Park. And I want to underline that the ABT framework is deceptively simple, however, also extremely powerful when we try to think through it and apply. So I want to understand each one of the steps a little bit more. I think there is some science around the ABT framework also. Why is it important to first get that agreement before then going into the problem statements? Yeah, great question. So what you are doing with the ABT is you're creating an open story loop so that you can close it and bring it full circle for your audience to create meaning in their brains. As Yuval Harari explains in Sapiens beautifully, one of my all-time favorite books too, is we are meaning-making machines unlike any other mammal or organism that we know. And we precisely use story to make that meaning. So if you leave out an and butter, therefore you are creating an open story loop that your audience will close for you and they will typically close it with a horror story. I'll come back and demonstrate <laughs> that to you in one second, but write that down so I don't forget that. Say, Park, tell me about that horror story again. <laughs> Why you don't want to start with the problem 
is because maybe your audience, your buyer, your prospect, your customer doesn't believe that's a problem. So you come right out of the gate with the problem. You have just now set up this scenario that you have to prove it to them. They're like, oh yeah, smarty pants, prove it to me. So you don't have any common ground. You have not created a common ground in any way, shape, or form. And anything you set up a major roadblock, you're not going to overcome. And the problem is hugely important. You're going to have that in your back pocket and your butt statement. What you want to do is have researched your audience, your customer, your colleague sitting across from you so well that you understand and empathize with what they want out of life as it pertains to what you have to offer and you raise the state. And why is that important? And then you get them nodding like you're nodding right now. You're nodding in agreement. That's all you're doing is finding common ground and you're setting the stage. Plus, you're setting it up to create major contradiction between that and statement of agreement. But the problem is, and we've done research, Randy has really looked into this and been working with scientists with him on this, but may well be the single most powerful word in the English language because it signals a change of direction. Why is that important? A plot change, basically. Why is that important? Our limbic system, the survival mechanism in our subconscious between that amygdala and that hippocampus and everything else that's going on in there is always scanning for a break in pattern, a change in a circumstance so that it can say, fight or fight, what do I do next? What the hell's going on here? So you get an unfair advantage of, as Christopher Lockhead said, when you use this ABT, because what you are doing, as I say, is you are hacking through the noise and hooking into that amygdala or hooking into that emotional heart that is really driving your customers. So you want to start with that statement of agreement, find common ground, and then you want to create as much of a difference in that but statement as possible to trigger the amygdala, to create arousal, and then you pay it off with the solution in the therefore statement. So it's a cause and effect dynamic that our limbic subconscious brain loves, and that's where really all of our buying decisions are being made. Robert McKee, I mentioned earlier, the famous screenwriting coach. He said something I'll never forget, Mahan, and that the story, of course, I went through. And he was telling this to screenwriters. He goes, always remember that our conscious mind is simply the PR department for our subconscious mind where all of our real decisions are being made. That is beautifully put. And in talking through this part, the way I view it is that, as you know, much of my work is on organizational change and Many of the listeners to this podcast are leaders that want to lead their teams and especially now through a lot of change. And I think that is one of the biggest mistakes they make in missing the and piece first, that agreement stage first, and they get to the need for the change before establishing that common ground. And then there is a disconnect. So the and allows almost like two locomotives to sync in with each other before then the jarring butts. And sometimes people don't have the butt to establish the contrast. Oftentimes leaders start with the butt without that initial agreement that the and part brings to the conversation. And that's what all of your listeners right now, if they go, and I highly recommend you do this, write an ABT about something that you've got going on. The very first mistake you'll make 
and it's okay because everybody does this, and you are going to still put the problem in the agreement statement. So you'll say such and such, and it's not working because of this. But, and now you've also have cocked up the whole thing. So go ahead and write your but statement. Let's get that doggone problem out on your paper right now, right? But here's the problem. Then go back and before that, write your statement of agreement. What does your audience want and why is it important to them? But the problem is they don't have it because of this. Therefore, you are here to help them get this. You have closed that story loop for them, but you've opened it in a statement of agreement, a place and setting a context that we can all agree on. Then you pull the rug out from underneath them. So Park, one of the other elements that you really highlighted for me is that my career started out in training. And while I was training to become a trainer, the word but was slapped out of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not physically. In essence, I was repeatedly told you say and not but because but is a verbal eraser. Part of the point that you make is that but can be very powerful and is essential in being able to pivot to that change that's required. Yeah. Wonderful point. And I taught at Arizona State University an executive master's program there for five years and taught storytelling in these techniques. And I heard the same thing. They would come to me and say, Park, we never, but, but, but. So let's do something fun for your listeners right here. <laughs> so you're my boss. And I want you to start off and you are giving me my annual review. And I want you to just top of your head, tell me three things that I'm really good at and that it's so great that I'm on your team. Go ahead. And what would they be? I'm sitting in your office. I'm waiting for my pay raise. You're giving me my annual review. You had consistency with a podcast this year. It's performing on one of the best podcasts doing really well with the promotions, but you haven't done as good a job with audio editing. Yeah. So what happens as soon as you throw that big button there, it negates everything you said before that in a leadership role, when you are working and coaching with people and so forth, and absolutely do not do that because you have just blown them up because that word, but is so powerful. But if you want someone to change a course of direction, to buy into a way of thinking, to buy into a product or service, you have to use the but. And so how would that be different? Now, say I'm on your team and you are excited about a new opportunity to make my podcast even better, which is going to impact all of the organization. So you might say, Park, it's been great having you here for the past year. Everyone has really enjoyed your camaraderie and the podcast is really doing great. We've grown by 10%, but we feel like we could even improve that more if we just did something about the audio quality. Therefore, we want to make you even more impactful and we are investing in this program to come in. Or maybe I'm your boss and you are trying to get park better equipment and you need them to sign off on a $10,000 requisition order. So you go into the boss. We're going to call her Sally. We've got this dynamic guy on our team. Our strategy for the podcast is working great. And we're getting customers to really rally around it. She's like, oh man, that's awesome. 
but the production quality isn't as good as it could be. Oh, really? And if we made it better, then we think we're going to have an even greater return on the work Park is doing. Therefore, Sally, all I'm asking is this $10,000 investment in some new studio equipment, which I believe we will return 10 times that by this time next year. So now you got two scenarios of when to use a butt and when not to use a butt. That's a great differentiation between when butt works well and where and how it doesn't work well. So, Park, what I'm wondering is you've given a lot of great examples of and button, therefore, in a paragraph form where we are communicating one short concept, one short story. How can the ABT framework be used in longer storytelling? Is it just a series of ABTs connected to each other or would there be one big ABT in, let's say, a 15-minute talk or story that is shared. Yeah, we call it nested ABTs. So you've put out the idea of a 15-minute presentation, and that's very long form. Anything over two minutes to me anymore, I consider long-form communication in our attention-starved economy. 15 minutes may as well be an epic. It's hard <laughs> to keep people's attention. So you have to find the singular narrative in that presentation. Now, we often have two or three challenges that we're trying to overcome when we're communicating these challenges out there, and our presentations can get really confusing. So what I do is say, all right, what is the single narrative that I'm going to then support with two or three other sub-narratives under there, but have this overarching thing? It's really where the story cycle system comes in, that 10-step process. You can use it to map out a long-form communication. Again, anything over 90 seconds long, really, you could use it for. But I always want to start with a 1ABT. We want this, and it's important because of this, but we currently don't have it because of this. Therefore, today I'm going to tell you about this. And there's three items I really want to bring your attention to. So you've got one overarching narrative. You get everybody in that room going, oh, it's crystal clear in my mind. This is what we're solving for, although we may have to tackle two or three other things to get to this one solving thing. So you start with that. It gets you super focused. You even begin your presentation with that so that you get your audience easily on your side. What I would do right after that, Mahan, is I would then share a very little anecdotal story, something under one minute long that makes my business point for me, that points out the challenge or the opportunity ahead of us by telling a true story about a real person that has gone through this and what the outcome was so that we can get our audience living vicariously through that person. And it makes the business point for you. There's nothing like a story to replace opinion and assertion to get your audience to buy into because people cannot argue with a true story well told. It's the truth. It's what it's all about. Then say, all right, this is where this problem is showing up in three different areas. All right, so you, you run the risk now of really spreading out this narrative from being singular to three parts, but you want to keep coming back to that one ABT up top. Every time I introduce a new support point to my overall ABT, I'm going to do that with its own little ABT and make sure in my therefore statement, I am always circling back and pointing to my overarching ABT. 
that enables you to introduce different subject matter in a presentation, which you're going to have to do. And oh, by the way, you do that and then follow it up with a short little anecdotal story, demonstrating it in action as well. When it's all said and done, you end up with a presentation that's nothing but a story of stories. And you can throw out your data at that point. You can throw out your charts and your graphs. Just don't lead with them. And the reason why is let's go back to Robert McKee, the legendary screenwriter said, all of our decisions are made in our subconscious limbic system. Our conscious theoretical or logical mind is just simply the PR department. That subconscious mind works on emotion. It doesn't understand numbers. What is the first syllable in the word number? No. Numb. That's what happens when you bombard your audience with a bunch of numbers, charts, graphs, data. Turn your data into drama by first demonstrating it in context, in the real world, so that they can absolutely see it and absorb it, just like Harari says in Sapiens. We human beings, the Homo sapien, is the most aggressive, invasive species ever known to mankind. And what is it that we have over everybody else is our ability to plan, think, organize using story. And that's what your job is in leadership. The ABT is the DNA of story. It's the first place to build your narrative intuition. And as I understood this, Park, as I look all around me, I see ABTs repeatedly, and I'll ask you in a minute to share some of the examples. But there are a couple of things that I would share with the audience that's listening to us also. I listened to many of your conversations, including the one you had with Lockett at least half a dozen times. In trying to understand this, I have read the book. I know you have a lot of resources on the website. You work with clients. So we'll talk about those later on. But one of the things that's really important is that it's very different for us to nod and understand and then have to sit down and try to make an ABT. So I do urge people to re-listen to the conversation. I think you've given a masterclass, in essence, on how to do ABTs. However, just that understanding will not by itself help. People need to sit down and really try to work on their ABTs. Now, I've been seeing them all around me, but you have been able to find them in all kinds of places from the Gettysburg Address to the Back to Future movie and nursery rhymes. So do you mind sharing a few of the ABTs that are all around us? Yeah. Let's start with Christopher Lockett since you brought him up. Now, I introduced him to the concept on his show. And Christopher Lockett, for those of you that don't know, is a legendary Silicon Valley marketer. The guy is absolutely brilliant at category design for branding. And I admire him. I think he's amongst my top 10 marketers of all time. He is that smart. He was kind enough to have me on a show a couple months ago. And it sort of blew his mind about the ABT. I thought he knew it. But he's like, oh my God. And then I showed how I used it using his category design process and how it is basically an extended ABT. So he writes a tweet the very next day, the very first time he uses the ABT. He then takes a screenshot of it after a day and sends it to me. And he says, oh my God, this is like wizardry. Look what happened. So Mahan, let me read you his tweet. This is a guy that tweets all the time promoting his show. First time he's using ABT. 
Most entrepreneurs would love to design a new category and build a billion-dollar business. But there is so much startup bullshit on Twitter, it's hard to know who to listen to. Therefore, meet at David Sachs. He knows a few things. And then there's a link to his podcast where he interviewed David Sachs. And but therefore, beautiful little ABT tweets are a great place to do this. He shows me he has in 24 hours over 60,000 engagements on that one particular tweet. 60,000. And he says, I've never used this before. First time I use it, it's the first time I've ever seen anything remotely that large when it comes to engagement. So what has happened? It's anecdotal, sure. I would love to see if we can get some neuroscience on it, but he has tweaked that limbic system to get people to push that little button to like it, to engage with it. I mean, that's pretty freaking remarkable. But what I learned about it from Dr. Olson back in 2013 from a branding standpoint, which is really my core thing, taking complex brand messaging and making it simple, I saw the ABT and it immediately resonated with me. I go, God, this is brilliant, but does it really work? Because <laughs> it seems so simple. <laughs> so I started doing some digging and lo and behold, I came across the Gettysburg Address, which is a perfect and button Therefore. Shared it with Randy and blew his mind. He included that reference in his next book on the ABT and gave me credit for that. So he and I have been doing this together for a long time. But you think about Lincoln. So he starts, we live in this great and mighty nation, but now we are engaged in this miserable civil war. Therefore, this is what we have to do about it. It's a perfect and button. Therefore, here's how you know it's powerful. Lincoln I learned, was not the keynote address that day in Gettysburg. A gentleman went on stage before him. He spoke for two hours, (laughs) 17,000 words, and he's lost to history. Mahan, you are in Washington, D.C. I presented out there at the Kennedy Center a couple years ago for Destination D.C. I posed the question to the audience, Does anybody know who actually was on stage before Lincoln? Do you know? No clue. I've been to Gettysburg itself, but I have no idea, Park. No. (laughs) (laughs) I've asked this question over the years. Only five people, two people in the room that day, the Kennedy Center came up with the right answer. A gentleman by the name of Edward Everett. He was former Secretary of State, self-proclaimed order. He bored the crowd for two hours. (laughs) And then Lincoln steps up. And do you know how long the Gettysburg Address is? Three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, approximately 272 words with perfect story structure, setup, problem resolution. So I started seeing this everywhere. You see it on the front page in the New York Times and articles. You hear it. Listen to NPR. They don't do it all the times, but the best setups for a coming segment, you're going to hear that big butt in there because it poses the question. They don't even give you the therefore. The therefore is your call to action to listen to see where it goes. Carly Rae Jepsen, pop singer, Call Me Maybe, has over 1.3 billion views on YouTube. Billion. And is that because the chorus is a perfect ABT? Probably is pretty catchy. Did they know the lyricists about the ABT? No. They're just good intuitive storytellers. They know about opening a story loop and closing it to create tension and then arousal and then fulfillment of that arousal with the resolution. That's the power of this. And it brings me then to my little horror story 
exercise with you. Are you open for this? I'm open. Why not? All right. <laughs> now, a lot of your listeners and you as well may know of Ernest Hemingway and the shortest story he ever wrote. Are you familiar with this? It's a story of just six words. He was sitting in a pub one night with his buddies and he bet each of them $10 that he could make them cry with just six words. Have you heard this? No, I haven't. All right. Here's the story. Six word story by Ernest Hemingway. For sale, baby shoes. Never worn. Oh. How did you close that story loop? Why were those baby shoes never worn? Because the baby didn't make it. What do you mean didn't make it? it? Wasn't born alive. The baby died, right? So let me ask you this, Mon. Everybody arrives at that. What if the mom brought home some baby shoes for her beautiful baby that is so healthy and growing so fast that she misjudged the actual size of the shoes and they were too small. And so therefore she had to sell them because she couldn't return them. Is that plausible? Absolutely is. What if a guy was walking in the park, he has no kids and he comes across this box of pristine baby shoes that someone had accidentally left behind. He takes them home. He can't use them. So he's going to sell them. Could be another story. Yeah. So why did you and everybody that hears this and your listeners arrive at the baby had died? Why did we close that story loop? Because our limbic system cannot stand ambiguity, confusion, and it cannot stand an open story loop. So in leadership and sales and marketing, if we don't close that loop, they will close it for us. And it's going to be a horror story because our brain will default to worst case scenario. It will catastrophize because it is the most finite conclusion it can arrive at to close the story loop. It will not arrive at a positive outcome because there are too many different positive outcomes. It's going to go, nope, can't do that. Nope, it's dead. Nope, we died. Nope, we've tried that before. Nope, we don't have the resources. Nope. And that's why you always want to close the story loop. And that's where the ABT comes in. You leave out an and, you leave out a but, you leave out a therefore, you will leave open the story for your audience to interpret and close. And it will not be the story you intended unless you intentionally close the loop with a story and set up, but problem to create the arousal, the story tension, the story energy, begging that cause and effect limbic system saying, how does this end part? Therefore, let me show you what we need to do next. You have done the work for your audience and they will love you for it, but you got to have those three elements. What a powerful example, Park, most especially right now when people have a lot of anxiety with a certain element of return to work. When the story loops are not closed in the minds of the team members, people do close those loops. And as you mentioned, we tend to close it in many times with the most negative storyline rather than the storyline that was intended. That's such a powerful example. And now more than ever, Mahan, with, as you say, with pandemic brain 
and we probably are all suffering from this in one way, shape, or form, where our limbic system is trying to close the loop on this ongoing pandemic. Now, the limbic system was fabulous when you came across the saber-toothed tiger. It knew exactly what to do, fight or flight. We don't know what the hell to do. Do I take a vaccine? Do I not take a vaccine? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Is a mask mandate in places that not? Do we have control of this thing? Now we have a Delta virus. What's the next virus? So our subconscious limbic system is being bombarded with one open loop after another, after another. And it's burning all kinds of energy to try to close that loop to no success. But what happens is it now takes the energy away from our executive functioning prefrontal cortex where all of our planning goes on, our decision-making happens up there. At least we're corroborating the decisions that were made in our limbic system. And why do people not now return messages and emails and any sort of digital communication? Because they're exhausted. And then that leaves an open story loop for us on the other end and we close it by catastrophizing it. Why can't they plan? Why can't they make a decision? It's not their fault. We are under attack with these wide open story loops because of our pandemic brain and even more reason and more opportunity for you as a leader, as a sales, as a marketer to make it easy for your audience to digest the communication, the messaging you're trying to give them by using this simple but deceivingly simple because you got to practice it, but remarkably effective framework of the and, but, and therefore that's what our new book that I co-wrote with Dr. Randy Olson, the narrative gym for business is all about. Plus I've got a very brief online course, 18 minutes long. I will take you through all three of those in three short videos. We will talk about the and statement of agreement, the, but Therefore, it helped you craft your ABTs immediately. And you can find that at businessofstory.thinkific.com. You've got a lot of great resources, Park, and I want to talk a little bit more about those in a minute. Before we get to that, are there any other resources you find yourself recommending to leaders, whether it's on leadership or on storytelling in general, because you're a student of this as much as you're a teacher too? Well, if you're interested in the hero's journey, the hero with a thousand faces is not the book to read. I commend you if you got through that, Han, because I couldn't. It is too dense. Had to read it for business school. I didn't say I chose to read it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But if you want to read a really great version that the rest of us can absorb, read The Writer's Journey by Christopher Vogler. He was one of the first writers in Hollywood to recognize the hero's journey pattern in Disney movies. And he has written a book now that I think is in its fourth edition. And it's fabulous. You can use it for your own writing, for your own communication. He dissects it. It's wonderfully done because he connects it to all these kinds of movies that we love. I've read it twice. I'm now starting it for the third time. It is that good. So if you want to learn that, the other good place to learn about the hero's journey is through Bill Moyer's PBS special before Joseph Campbell died. Gosh, I mean, just a few months before he died, they had produced this six one-hour series all about the hero's journey and had Campbell explain it. And what I understand is it's like number one selling series in all of PBS. It's fabulous. Plus, they wrote a book from the transcript of that that's a really fun read, too, and it's called The Power of Myth. 
So I like those two books, The Writer's Journey and The Power of Myth, because they're very accessible. They're really fun to read and you'll get the aha. This is good, good stuff right here. The other one, the ABT one that Dr. Randy Olson wrote before me was called Houston, We Have a Narrative, where he really dove into the ABT with that. That's a fun book to read. It's primarily written for the science community. But for anybody out there that has really complex stuff that you have to simplify and communicate, that's a fabulous book. It's a little bit deeper dive than what we did. The Narrative Gym is meant to be, for business, is meant to be a 75-page guide. You can absorb it in about 90 minutes and start writing your ABTs right away. Those are great recommendations, Park. And I know you have a lot of wonderful resources. What's the best way for people to find some of your work, your writing, resources, podcasts, all of the information about Park Owl? Thank you. Just visit me at businessofstory.com. If you have any questions about the ABT, feel free to shoot me an email, Park, P-A-R-K. Remember, I'm not Dan, Melody, Tom, Steve, Chris, or Mike. (laughs) I'm Park at businessofstory.com. Even if you want to try an ABT and shoot it my way, I'd be happy to coach you, do a little coaching via email. And then, of course, you had mentioned my first book that came out a year ago during COVID called Brand Bewitchery, How to Wield the Story Cycle System to Craft Spellbinding Stories for Your Brand. So it'll take you through everything I learned about the hero's journey and how to apply it in your own brand world. I do talk about the ABT and then the five primal elements of stories. And it is filled with anecdotes and stories so you can see it in action. And then, of course, the new book, The Narrative Gym for Business. And that's the best place to find me. And, of course, every Monday I have a brand new episode that comes out on Business of Story where I just bring in story artists from around the world to help leaders excel through the stories they tell. And I think, Park, as I mentioned throughout the conversation, I think storytelling is critical for leadership. In addition to that, much of your teaching, much of the things that you talk about can help people become better leaders by changing the framework of how they think and how they communicate messages. I think that's an integral part of leadership. Your own podcast business of story has been a go-to favorite of mine for years. I absolutely loved Brand Bewitchery and the Narrative Gym for Business is a go-to. I do take exception though. You say it's not the TLDR, so it's not too long, did not read. It's J-R-T-R-I, just right, totally read it. I would say actually it's J-R-R-I-A-I, it's just right, read it applied it. And that's what makes it powerful, Park Howell, because it is 75 pages, but those 75 pages are applicable so people can take it and learn how to more effectively tell stories and through that storytelling, become even more effective leaders too. I truly appreciate all the great content you've been sharing and the masterclass you gave the Partnering Leadership podcast community in this conversation too. Thank you so much, Park Howell. Thank you so much, Mahan, for having me on your show. I really, really appreciate it. You've been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.